Now tonight we're going to look at Jeremiah 23, but only the first eight verses, which may be a surprise to you, but I trust will be an encouragement to you by the end of the evening. In this series on the life of the prophet Jeremiah, we have repeatedly focused upon his message of the judgment to come upon the kingdom of Judah and the city of Jerusalem, including the destruction of the Solomonic Temple. Tonight, we want to focus upon his message of salvation. Salvation to come and the transformed arena which will displace and replace the miserable despair of ruin, the despair of collapse, the despair of death, the despair and emptiness of destruction after the whirlwind. Our focus in the verses for, from Jeremiah 23 is upon the eschatological shepherd. The eschatological shepherd Lord, Lord of the sheep of the flock of God. That flock of the Lord's pasture, which is the remnant, the elect remnant, the chosen elect remnant according to the election of grace. Our focus tonight is upon the eschatological David. The eschatological David who is the eschatological Lord, whose regal reign is the very antithesis, the very antithesis of the charlatans and pretenders of this present evil age. The scepter of this David is a rod of righteousness, a staff of justice, an extension of his everlasting peace. Our focus tonight is upon the one whose name is Lord. Lord himself is his name. Savior, Lord. Gatherer of his sons and daughters from the scattered and dispersed corners of the earth. The bringer home of his children. Our focus tonight is upon the righteous Lord the Lord, our righteousness. Righteousness in his perfection. Righteousness in his donation. Righteousness in his imputation. Righteousness in his benediction. Our focus tonight is on the eschatological shepherd who is at the same time the eschatological David, who is at the same time the eschatological name, himself Lord, who at the same time bestows eschatological righteousness upon the eschatological remnant of the eschatological people of God. These words of Jeremiah 23, 1 to 8 are words to invite you into the text. 
words which summon you into the era of the text, words which join you to one who is revealed to you by the text, one who discloses himself to you as your shepherd, your king, your righteousness, your Lord. So let us begin with the text. Let us begin with a reading of the text. Robert, I'll call upon you to begin to read the first verse of Jeremiah 23. Just the first verse. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Lisa, would you read verse 2, please? your outline, I have given you a suggestion about the symmetrical patterns that can be lined out from the structure of the Hebrew text. Those symmetrical patterns, if you will observe, break down into a bracket around verses 1 to 4, verses 5 to 7, and finally verses 7 and 8. You will notice the repetitions in verse in the first bracket, verses 1 to 4, which terminate in the word Lord on the outline and sandwich the Lord's name in the first person personal pronoun, also first person personal pronoun, and reflexive. Actually, the Hebrew language has no reflexive pronoun in order to get the reflexive sense, namely, I myself. Hebrew will double the first person personal pronoun. So what we have in verse 3 is a double I, I, I. But we in English would prefer to translate it I myself. You observe then that in those first four verses, the Lord himself 
is the object of these declarations, the object of these remarks. In fact, he is sandwiched in parallel fashion in verses 2 and 3 between the outer limits or the outer frame of these first four verses. Turning then to verses 5 to 7, which are the next unit, you'll notice the repeated phrase, Behold, days are coming. And sandwiched in between, a reflection to the days of this one who bears the name. The name of a king in righteousness, the name of the Lord, our righteousness. The symmetry is very significantly arranged or structured or sandwiched around the name. And finally, the duplication in verses 7 and 8 about the power of the Lord who lives and brings up his people. Brings them up from one land, brings them up from another land. The Lord who brings them up from the land of bondage and from the land of exile and places them on their own soil or in the Hebrew places them on their own Adama. All right. Uh, This is to uh, indicate to you that there is a fairly sophisticated pattern here, pattern of repeated parallelisms, and when we have Semitic parallelism, we have mirror reflection as well as emphasis and vividness being increased uh, for our own encouragement. Now, in the outline below the, in the uh, handout below the outline, I've listed some parallel passages which pick up on themes in these uh, eight, in these eight verses, and so I would like to uh, have you turn uh, first of all to some of these, beginning with Psalm 100, verse three, and let's all turn to it together so that we can look at the passage as it's read, Psalm 100, verse three, remembering that this psalm is picking up a phrase which is found in Jeremiah 23, verse 1. This is, of course, the 100th Psalm, Old 100th. And Ben, if you have it, if you would read verse 3 for us, and then would you point out what phrase in this verse is also repeated in Jeremiah 23, verse 1. Himself is God. It is He who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people, and the sheep of His pasture. The sheep of the, the sheep of my pasture. Yes, the sheep of my pasture. The sheep of His pasture is uh, remembered in that hundred psalm. It is conceivable that that psalm precedes Jeremiah. So the language of sheep of God's pasture is familiar to the nation of Israel. Uh, This is obviously a familiar phrase to us because we sing the 100th Psalm routinely in our churches and we use the 100th Psalm as a responsive reading also routinely. It is one of the most precious Psalms of the Reformation particularly of the Scottish Reformation, and so it has uh, a precious place in our memory. But this phrase has a precious place in God's own memory and in his own disclosure to his people. So Jeremiah picks up on it even as God discloses himself once more as having a people who are the sheep of his pasture. Now, the second verse uh, is uh, replicated in Ezekiel chapter 34. I didn't specify any particular passage in Ezekiel 34, and I did not do that because the entire chapter is discussing this issue of the false shepherds as contrasted with the true. 
I would simply encourage you to read over Ezekiel 34 at your leisure sometime because Ezekiel is a contemporary of Jeremiah. He was carried away, as you recall, in the second siege of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar in 597. Same siege that took away King Jehoiakim and the Queen Mother and his sons. Ezekiel becomes the prophet of God's self-disclosure and message to the uh, Judah, to Ju- Judah in exile, to the Jews in captivity, even before the final fall of Jerusalem in 586. Jeremiah remains in the city to be the prophet of God's self-disclosure to the nation in the consequence or in the continuation of its fall. Nonetheless, they are uh, often seem to be providing duplicate messages, and here is an instance in this uh, motif of the false shepherds of Jeremiah 23:2 that you will uh, duplicate, you will read again in Ezekiel chapter 34. Now, in the third verse, if you'll just glance over that verse once more, and then I would like you to turn. Let's all turn to Micah chapter 2, verse 12. Micah chapter 2, verse 12. And Art, when you have it, I'm going to ask you to read the verse and identify, if you will, the theme that is found in Jeremiah 23.3, which is also located in Micah chapter 2, verse 12. Micah chapter 2 verse 12 I will surely gather all of you O Jacob I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel I will bring them together like sheep in a pen like a flock in its pasture the place will throng with people what do you see in Jeremiah 23 3 that is also reflected there in Micah 2, verse 12. Okay, the remnant motif is there. And in fact, most of the verses that I have listed there on the handout for verse 3 are featuring the remnant motif. But there's one other word there that uh, reappears. Are <coughs> uh, gather. Okay, what else? Pasture. Yes, the pasture motif. All right, so uh, it's particularly the remnant theme that I want to underscore. And all of those sections, as I indicated, those verses that I have listed there have to do with the remnant of uh, God's people. And this notion of a remnant is endemic to the Old Testament prophets. Almost all of them have it in one form or another, namely that God will redeem a remnant by his grace. Robert, did you have a question or comment? Yeah. Um, Jeremiah is all specifically about Judah, and this specifically mentions Israel. Yes. Uh, Micah is prophesying to the northern kingdom in the 8th century B.C. You'll notice if you look at verse 6 of Jeremiah 23 that Jeremiah also has Israel in view. And particularly in that 6th verse, why would he be projecting both Judah and Israel? seems to me after he, uh, everybody's been scattered, both kingdoms, then he's going to bring both of them back as one, right? He's going to bring a remnant back from both. That is correct. So the prophecy of the remnant, whether it's specifically to Israel or to Judah, and here's a good example here in Jeremiah 23, 6, will reassemble or gather that remnant from both Israel and Judah, the remnant of Israel and the remnant of Judah will be gathered back uh, into the Lord's kingdom. But the remnant motif is, of course, an emphasis upon the gracious preservation of God's promises.
Any other questions about the remnant theme? Now, in verse 4, and you might want to uh, simply glance over verse 4 once more before we turn in the list of passages there to Ezekiel 34. This time we'll pick out a particular verse, Ezekiel 34, verse 23. Ezekiel 34, verse 23. Christina, do you mind if I call on you to read that passage? You do, all right. Terry, do you have it? Oh, you have it. You will read it? Okay, go ahead. Uh, 23. Verse 23 of Ezekiel 34. Then I will set over them one shepherd with seven tables. He will feed them. He will keep them in the And what do you notice which is similar to uh, Ezekiel chapter, or Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 4? <clears throat> Something that is also repeated in 34.23. And who's he going to send to them? Or raise up for them? A shepherd. The shepherd motif is common. Now obviously, as I mentioned earlier before, Ezekiel 34 is about false shepherds, and the true shepherd. And here in Jeremiah 23, we also have the same pattern in verse 2, the false shepherds, but in verse 4, the true shepherd who will be raised up. The other passages there that are listed on your handout for verse 4 of Jeremiah 23 include the separate shepherd motif, particularly the Micah 5 verse 4, which you may recognize as the context of the Bethlehem promise prophecy, <clears throat> uh, which is read uh, to the wise men in Matthew chapter 2. That brings us to verse 5. <clears throat> and in this case, <clears throat> we want to hold our finger in Jeremiah 23. You might want to scan the verse quickly as we turn back to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. <clears throat> And Loretta, if you have it, would you read verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah 11, please? Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and the branch from his roots will bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And what word or what theme do you see that's common to that section of Isaiah 11 and Jeremiah 23, verse 5? Branch comes from what in Isaiah 11? Stem. A stem of Jesse. Of Jesse. And in Jeremiah 23, verse 5, do you have anyone related to Jesse? David. Yes, to David. So the similarity of the branch out of the root of David or out of the stem of Jesse, who is David's father. And on your handout, I have listed other passages which also will refer to this pattern of the branch out of David. Finally, in verse 6, we don't have to turn too far this time. If you'll just scan verse 6 quickly and then turn over to Jeremiah 33, verse 16. Jeremiah 33, verse 16. And Marge, if you have it, would you read 
Jeremiah 33:16 for us. In those days, Judah shall be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell in safety. And this is the name by which she shall be called. The Lord is our righteousness. And how do you compare that with Jeremiah 23:6? This is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Yes, in fact, you'll notice that the vir- <clears throat> there is a virtual duplication between Jeremiah 23.6 and Jeremiah 33.16. The one variation <clears throat> is that Jerusalem is inserted in place of the name Israel. Nonetheless, <clears throat> the verse is a virtual repetition of what we're reading in 23, which suggests that when we come to 33, we will once again be in the eschatological section of Jeremiah's prophecy. In fact, from chapter 31 to 33, we will revisit Jeremiah's eschatology, something that we are seeing the first uh, enlarged expansion of here in 23.1 to 8. This is the first, uh, shall we say, uh, expansive or enlarged projection of Jeremiah's eschatological vision. All right, any questions about uh, any of that to this point? Now, as you uh, look at the passages of this chapter, I am inviting you to place yourself in the text. Not to separate or distance yourself from these words, but to place yourself to find your life hidden in the text of Jeremiah 23, 1 to 8. Find your life in a text which is nearly 2,600 years old to you. And as you do that, I trust that you will come away much encouraged. Verse 1, the sheep of my pasture. You who love the Lord have been designated his sheep. The lambs of his sheepfold. Sheep of his very own pasture. You he carries in his bosom. You he carries in and out of green pastures. You he leads beside still waters. You he walks beside. Yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he walks beside you. You who love the Lord, he calls you the sheep of his pasture. He is your pastor. You are part of his flock. He himself surrounds you. He himself gathers you up in his arms. He himself embraces you as a lamb that once was lost. A lamb that once was lost, whom he himself sought and found, whom he himself rescued and redeemed, whom he himself has borne up upon his shoulders, 
a lamb whom he himself has gently carried home to his sheep pen, his sheepfold, carries home to his home, carries you home in his embrace, his loving pastoral embrace, his tender, gentle, affectionate caress. You who love the Lord Jesus, he calls you the sheep of his pasture from 600 B.C. He calls you the sheep of my pasture. Verse 3. The Lord God himself gathers you who love him unto himself. He himself initiates this drawing of you to himself. You yourself come to his ingathering arms because he himself first gathered you into his arms. He himself reversed your drifting, your wandering, your scattering yourself far off from his pasture. He himself draws and gathers you near unto God. Near unto himself. Near unto I myself. Verse 3. How graciously he himself treats you. Brings you gently, effectually, wonderfully, irresistibly brings you yourself unto him himself. Brings you to his grace graciously brings you to his grace, brings you to the wonder, the surpassing wonder of his undeserved favor, brings you to the gift, the gift freely bestowed upon you by him himself. No other giver of this gift save him himself. None save him himself to you yourself. His grace gift to you, for you, in you. You yourself know this, you who love him himself. You yourself confess this, that you have not deserved this gift. You yourself have not earned this favor. You yourself have not merited this Kindness. You yourself know this. You know this remnant condition in which you were found of him himself. This elect condition in him himself. This remnant 
according to the election of grace condition in him, himself. You yourself know that he himself chose you in his grace itself. Elected you in his undeserved favor itself. The unmerited, the undeserved grace gift of him himself. You know it. You treasure it. You bow in speechless awe before it. And from the depths of your heart, you utter in the voice that only he can hear, Lord, you have been gracious to me, a sinner. To you, for you, in you, from I myself, God, from I myself, God of grace, from I myself who brings you yourself to I myself, graciously, wonderfully, powerfully, tenderly, irresistibly, fully. You who love the Lord Jesus, he himself co-equal with I myself, he gathers you, the remnant according to the election of grace. And he puts yourself in him himself with I myself in the text which he revealed himself to Jeremiah 2,600 years ago. Put yourself in the text. You who love the shepherd Lord God himself. Verse 4. He himself raises up a shepherd over you. A shepherd who himself intends good to you. A good shepherd who extends his care to you, extends his protection to you. A shepherd who offers his life to you. The Lord God raises up a good shepherd over you, a shepherd who calls you by your name. A shepherd who knows you as his very own. A shepherd who knows you as his very own possession. A shepherd who guards you. A shepherd who defends you. A shepherd who protects you from the wolf and the lion and the destroyer. A shepherd who nestles you upon his hand, his strong, invincible hand, his almighty shepherd hand grasping you, holding you, covering you, closing you into the hollow of his palm 
folding you around with his omnipotent fingers. You fear no evil in the hollow of his hand. No longer will the dread of death terrify you. Your good shepherd holds you, is with you, and you are with him. You stray and wander no more. Nevermore do you go missing from your good shepherd. For you are used to his voice. You are accustomed to his words. His sweet speech to you is what you long to hear. And you will not, no, you will not listen to the voice of a hireling. No other shepherd as good as this shepherd. No other shepherd as precious to you as this shepherd. No other shepherd like God's shepherd, who is God the shepherd himself. Put yourself into the text. You who love this shepherd God, this I am shepherd Lord. You to whom the Lord Jesus Christ says, I am your good shepherd. Put yourself in the text of Jeremiah 23 verse 4. 600 years before that shepherd, you were planted in the text. Verse 5. Put yourself into the text, for he is your king. From the root of the stem of Jesse, from the branch out of David, this righteous scion, this regal sovereign, this wise and just ruler will touch your heart with his royal scepter, will subdue your once rebellious, willful heart with his Sovereign righteousness. This king of kings. This David of Davids. This kingly son of Judah will save you. He will rule over you. He will surround your dwelling place with security Security for you and all the sons and daughters of the one nation, the one people of God. That final Israel of God, over whom the final David extends his righteous sway. No more bondage. No more bondage to alien lords, to foreign sovereigns. No more cruel taskmasters and harsh monarchs. This last David comes to set his people free. Comes to bring them up. To bring them up from bondage and tyranny, rises up to raise up his oppressed and downtrodden people to sit at his footstool. Verse 6. 
his throne, throne of justice and righteousness and freedom, freedom from death. Death, that cruelest dread Lord of all. No longer scattered and dispersed to the savage rulers of darkness, allies of the dark Lord in his manifest forms of treachery, deceit, demagoguery, tyranny, rulers who crush and oppress and dominate and subjugate and prevaricate. This sovereign is the very antithesis of these narcissists, for he succeeds where they fail miserably, even when they build upon their egos. He is righteous where they are wicked. He is just where they are evil. He is Savior where they are destroyer. He is Lord God where they are arrogant, maniacal demigods. He is true king. They are pseudo-kings. His kingdom endures. Their kingdoms will fall. Like himself, his kingdom is eternal. Like themselves, their kingdom is temporal. This David, this new David of Jeremiah 23, 5, this eschatological David, he is your king. He is your Lord. He is your God. You who love the Lord Jesus, this king is the last David. He is the root out of the stem of Jesse. He is the righteous branch because he is the righteous Lord. And now I ask you to put yourself into the era of the text. The days are coming, says Jeremiah. He says it twice in order to emphatically underscore it. The days are coming, says Jeremiah. I say to you, those days are here. Put yourself into the era of the text. The days are coming when the Lord will raise up a new David. That David is here. The days are coming when the Lord will establish this king to reign over his people. We, the people of this king and his kingdom, are under his reign now in these days, these last days. The days are coming when this king will do justice and righteousness. That king has now established justice and righteousness as the banner of his kingdom in these last days. This king, in the days that are coming, will save his people. You 
who loved this king have been saved by him both now and forevermore. In these last days, he has saved you by his royal grace. The days are coming when this king will cause his people to dwell securely. You members of the kingdom of God are even now secure within the city of that king whose walls are insuperable, four square walls of an invincible kingdom in these last days. The days are coming when this king will be called the Lord. You members of his kingdom now bow before him as your Lord and your God in these last days. The days are coming when this shepherd king will bring his people up from bondage. You who have experienced the new and greater exodus in this shepherd king have even now been set free from bondage in these last days. The days are coming when this shepherd king will gather in the scattered sons and daughters of his kingdom who are spread over the face of the earth. You, the redeemed of the Lord, shepherd king, you have now been gathered from the four corners of the earth into his everlasting kingdom in these last days. And that gathering will continue until he comes on the last day. There is no exile in this king's kingdom because the era of return from exile has come with his coming. There is no captivity in this king's kingdom because the era of no more captivity has come with his coming. There is no fear in this king's kingdom because the era of no more fear has come with his coming. There is no more terror in this king's kingdom for the era of no more terror has come with his coming. This era prophesied in Jeremiah 23, 1-8 is the era that has arrived in Jesus Christ. You who know him know that. Live in the era that Jeremiah prophesied. And the greater Jeremiah brought into reality for you. You who belong to Christ belong to the language of this text. You who belong to Christ belong to the language of this era. You who belong to Christ belong to the person prophesied by this language. You who belong to Christ have your life hidden with this shepherd king in Christ Jesus himself. You who belong to Christ have been folded down into the life of myself Lord, King of Righteousness. You who belong to Christ 
your life has been indelibly and inseparably and irresistibly joined to the life of this shepherd king who is Christ Jesus by Jeremiah prophecy and by Christ accomplishment of that prophecy. These words, 2,600 years old to us today, belong to us because the prophet was prophesying the one who would give us the fullness of these words. Take them into your life and into your heart. And let them undergird the strength of your soul and even the weakness of your faith so that you will be encouraged to go on in the strength of the Lord, not to despair, not to be anxious, not to wring your hands about the future, but to stand in Christ as you stand in the text, to stand in the true shepherd, the good shepherd, as one of his precious lambs, whom he has ransomed as a remnant ransomed by his grace into a kingdom of righteousness and justice which shall never pass away. That is the message of comfort to our hearts. This day from Jeremiah To whom God said, this day is coming. My son is coming to bring this day to you. Now, if you'll notice one more point here. We observed at the first verse has that familiar phrase, sheep of my pasture. You observe that the word pasture occurs in verse 3 again. But at the end of verse 8, at the end of the return duplication, the return from bondage such as Egypt, the return from exile such as the north country, At the end of that eighth verse, there is a remark about remaining on their soil or on their land. What land? What land could contain the richness of these verses between one and eight? What land could contain, could hold an exilic return in which there is no longer any fear, no longer any terror. What land could hold? What soil could contain? One who was the Lord, righteousness. No land upon the face of this earth could contain such a glorious projection. Do you see that the frame around these eight verses is the pasture of the Lord? That is the soil land to which he will bring them on this return from bondage and this return from exile. That is the place where he will gather them. There is no terrestrial place 
that could contain such a glorious ingathering from all the remnant of his election gathered from the four corners of the earth. No, no place on this terrestrial globe could contain it. The brackets of the verse, brackets of the section, the pasture and the soil are referring to the everlasting pasture fields of God's everlasting dwelling place. No other dimension can fulfill it. And that means that all who come to Christ from wherever they come on this little globe called the earth, all who come, come to a kingdom, come to a city, come to a place, come to a walled enclosure which is as large as God himself. You are citizens of heaven. You have been bought with a price. He has ushered you into the heavenly places because that's the only place large enough to accommodate all who are coming. In Jeremiah 23, 1 to 8. The remnant according to the election of grace. Shall we pray? Father, we treasure these words because we know the Lord Jesus who is the fulfillment of them. And Lord, In our hour of discouragement, in our time of being downcast, we are wonderfully refreshed by finding our life in the text. By being reminded again that we live in the era not of the expectation and longing, but in an era of fulfillment and accomplishment. We live in the era of the Lord, our righteousness incarnate. Father, these words come to us from 2,600 years ago as a wonderful supernatural encouragement to our souls, a balm for our sorrows, an uplifting for our discouragement, an assurance that you yourself, the I myself, are our, our God and Lord. Through Christ Jesus, our shepherd, our king, our liberator. Thank you for allowing us to hear your word to us, through the words of Jeremiah, your servant. Let them be a great refreshing to our souls as we bathe and bask in the wonder of your affection, your tender care, your caress, your gathering us up, your folding us in, your joining us to yourself. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, by the indwelling power 
of your Holy Spirit. We thank you and we praise you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. If you have any comments or questions, I'll be glad to respond to them. Otherwise, that is all I have to say on the subject. I'm sorry, Cheryl, that you arrived just in time to go home. It is over. We finished the eight verses of the first part of Jeremiah 23. I'll be happy to dialogue with you if you wish to. Okay, so the next question is, I know we're not having class next week. We are not having class next week. That is correct. On the 29th. Okay. So it's not over. And I, and, and I will be along around the 29th. What chapter will we cover? We're actually going to look at the rest of 23 from 9 to the end and 24 because we have a rule of twos. We have in the rest of chapter 23 a change in theme, namely true and false prophets. So two kinds of prophets. And in chapter 24, one of the shortest chapters in Jeremiah, we also have twos. We have two kinds of figs, good and bad. So we're going to look at the concord or harmony between the twos, the two twos. Happy Thanksgiving to you all.